I'll do one too. Do we do look forward to growing older? It's this great oh, gift. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it sort of like psychologically, it sort of like frees up your mind from a lot of other stresses as you get older. You almost have more time to just relax and enjoy yourself. And uh, da, 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 da. Episode 37. Welcome back to another riveting episode of Heart Big Head MD Radio. I'm your co-host, Evan. I'm the other co-host, Emilio. And on this guest episode, we speak with Dr. Loretta Seraldo, the iconic dermatologist behind the acclaimed Dr. Loretta skincare line, which, Emilio, correct me if I'm wrong, has been a brand that's been name-dropped on this show since its inception. Is that right? Every single episode, to be honest. I'm a little ashamed that it took us this long to get her on, but we got her. And you're going to want to turn your silly little headphones all the way up because <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty informative episode. Yeah, this is the first time we've had a certified dermatologist on the show. And I'm just, the whole entire time, okay, so we, we kind of fumbled a little bit in that we didn't ask Dr. Loretta her <laughs> yeah. own personal skincare <laughs> routine, uh-huh. which... Uh, We apologize, but I have to say that the reason why we probably didn't is because we were in like listening mode. I was watching back, I was watching the video back of us, and it was like we were at school. That's how I felt. Class was in session. Felt like I was at a lecture in a good way. Um, Mm. But yeah, it's a super fascinating episode. We talk about uh, Dr. Loretta's come up back in the 70s. uh, And then we also talked about, uh, we get into UV rays. Finally, we get some some clarity on blue light and its blue light. effects on your skin. Dr. Loretta really clears that up for us. And yeah, I've just never really spoken to someone about skincare who is able to simplify it to this level. So it's mm-hmm. it's a really fascinating listen. Yeah, it was interesting to go over how how the research on on UVA has changed in the last 20, 30 years. Now you have to go above and beyond SPF. You mm-hmm. kind of have to triage it with going yeah. out at certain hours or only going out and getting sun exposure at certain hours, avoiding peak seasons. Is that right? <laughs> peak seasons, peak times. Peak times. Or you just never go out. Never go out. Just Stay never go inside out. inside for the rest of your life. But yeah, we get into that. And also we talk about, well, we'll just, we'll just save it for the episode. Listen to it. It's fascinating. <laughs> Topics that we've covered before on this episode come up, but I don't think they've ever, they've been spoken about to this level of, I guess, just like clarity. Yeah. I sound like a Bachelor contestant <laughs> talking about clarity, always seeking clarity. We got it. We finally got clarity. We got the understanding that we were looking for. So without further ado, here's Dr. Loretta. Loretta, Loretta, Loretta. Do you prefer going by Dr. Loretta? I think so. If that's good for you, yeah, okay. that's perfect for me. Yeah, that's that that's that's good for us too. We we love it because also you know, it highlights the brand name too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And can you hear us all right? Yes. You know what? I'm just gonna see because I'll tell you, I'm on my iPad. And I just want to make sure I have the volume as loud as possible. Okay. Evan, you can turn your mic up a little bit. Yeah, that's okay, it. Because Emilio, I do hear you a little bit better than Evan. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. How about how's perfect. that? Can we hear us? There you perfect, go. perfect, perfect. Thank you both. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Dr. Loretta, for being here. Um, My pleasure. Emilio and I were, t- were talking yesterday that almost every guest prior to this moment has either mentioned your name or your brand. Wow. So it's all, it's all coming to a head here. And so it's, again, before we get into it, you know, as we were discussing, like, it's very rare that we have someone with this amount of expertise and, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the field of dermatology. And we'd love to just kind of start off by talking about your journey into skincare, um, because we know you started more than 40 years ago. And, you know, at a time when when there was men gatekeeping, you know, mm-hmm. medicine, you know, and there was very little research regarding UV rays. And just kind of talk about that journey leading up to this moment of skincare, in like pop culture and yes. uh, 
Great. Yeah. yeah. I, and your skincare yes, line. I mean, I'd love to tell you, life has changed so much from <laughs> the early 70s when I entered medical school until now. So when I went to medical school, first of all, there were not very many women in medical school. Our class was phenomenal because we were at almost 25% women. But of course, all of the women were expected to be pediatricians or obstetricians. And so I started medical school in New York. That's, you know, I went to medical school in New York. And after my first year, our school had a program where if you could find very good research, they would actually pay the research stipend to the institution. And so I found out that Harvard was doing some research in skin. Truthfully, I had assumed that I would become a pediatrician or an obstetrician, but I wanted to live in Boston for the summer. So I take this job. I'm a very talkative person. So the first day in the morning, they give me this little box and they say, go out on the lawn and I want you to take these recordings every 15 minutes. I come back in at the end of when it's sort of like lunch break. And I had absolutely no idea. This was, I was working in a little temporary building, a Quonset hut, really, that became the photobiology labs of Harvard Dermatology Medical School. But I really didn't know what I was doing. And so uh, after I had all of these recordings, the head of the lab said to me, you know what, Loretta, we're going to go to the cafeteria. He said, what you've just been doing is you've been measuring the amount of UVA that reaches the surface of the earth. And I can tell already you're very chatty. But when we're in the cafeteria, do not tell people what you're doing because many people at this institution think that, you know, it's a little bit of a waste for me to be measuring UVA because we don't oh, think wow. UVA really does anything to the skin. So I go ahead and I, you know, this is week one, right? And I get all these measurements. By week two, we had human volunteers that we actually gave a pill to. There's a pill that can make you more sensitive to UVA. So we gave them this pill, had them lie out in the sun. And, you know, we didn't think that anything would really happen. But unfortunately, in the first group of testers, we had to admit one of them to the burn unit of the hospital. Oh, no. So, you know, this sort of that, that phrase that when you have lemons, try to make the lemonade. One of the things that came from that work was that we realized that sunscreen had better be protecting us also from UVA. Up until then, this was 1975, and up until that time, there were no sunscreens that would really, well, at least that were made to protect us from UVA. Maybe coincidentally, there was a little UVA uh, you know, protection. So by the 80s, because it does take about that long, it was actually probably a good seven or eight years later that we came up with this, not we, but the FDA said, based on all of these kinds of studies, we need to have UVA, UVB protection and the term broad spectrum sunscreen evolved. Uh, you know, then sort of to fill you in a little more, I ended up marrying my wonderful husband who now I guess we're gonna be married 44 years. He was one of my classmates. And uh, I sort of decided, you know what, instead of delivering babies or taking care of other people's babies, I'd rather go into a field where I could have my own babies. And so I got very, I said, you know, I went back to Harvard from um, part of my fourth year, did a lot more research and became a dermatologist. And, uh, you know, when I was in my residency again, because I know that um, this is really a program for dudes but to really give you the idea, because many dudes have got a mom, a mother-in-law, and maybe some of them, like me, are getting close to 70. I've got a couple of years till I'm 70. And to give you a little more empathy for women in my category, I can tell you that when I was in my dermatology residency, I got called in and they said, Dr. Seraldo, you've been chosen as chief resident at which point I started to cry hysterically. And I said, I am so sorry to tell you that I felt that I had a status that would negate my getting this position. I said, I'm so sorry to tell you I'm three months pregnant. And my chairman who was, you know, there were no 
women chairman. There were only men chairmen and only men, you know, running everything. And my chairman right. was so open-minded that he said, I didn't pick you for your gestational status. You still get the job. And so that was sort of a great triumph. And then when I became a dermatologist, I realized that, wow, there was just so little known about what we put on the skin. That's what I had actually done my research at my residency on how what we put on our skin gets into our skin. So that's sort of been my journey. I, uh, 1993, realizing that we sort of really needed we dermatologists and plastic surgeons were starting to do more and more aesthetic stuff that we needed to have some products that we could trust to put on after we lasered people or gave people shots. So since 1993, I've been formulating products, but that was just for doctor's offices. And then we went into med spas. And then I, I have four amazing, wonderful children. And two of the four teamed up with me three years ago to make products mm-hmm. that could go directly to the public. And our line mm-hmm. is called Dr. Loretta. And it's available in a whole bunch of places, our website, drloretta.com, but also Durham Store, Nordstrom, Skin Store. We, we've had a very nice reception. Yeah. I mean, and talk about, um, you know, kind of your how your journey has led to the skincare line and kind of the philosophy behind it because i feel like it's one of those we're excited to try it so we have uh, the essential set being sent our way uh Uh, but uh you know talk about how because doctor the doctor loretta skincare line um it with with its philosophy like about external factors like it really brings that to um it's it's to not only to the ingredients, but like just just how we approach skincare now yes. about ex- externalities. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, you know, I do spend so much of my life in my dermatology practice. And, you know, right now, actually, sort of uh, maybe it's sort of a half and half on times of COVID. I'm probably even spending more time developing new products and doing research for my line. But over the years, because, I, you know, I've been a dermatologist for over 40 years now. Over the years, I've literally done tens of thousands of total body exams mm-hmm. looking for little skin cancers and all of this. Well, I, it became sort of like this mantra that I'd have, uh, and it was sort of very unrehearsed. But I'd be examining somebody who was maybe even in their 90s, whose faces and chest and neck were just ravaged by aging, right? So, you know, people would have the worst Mm -hmm. wrinkles, age spots, sagging, you name it, right? And then I get to their backside and invariably they would look decades and decades younger. And sometimes when I was really, especially if somebody was like, let's say sort of in their sixties or seventies and already you saw that disparity, I would ask them for permission Especially, I would take their cell phone. I take a close-up of their face and a close-up of any area covered by clothing. It could be as simple as, you know, their bellies. And I'd show them side by side the difference. And I'd say, you know, this does not have to do with aging. I think you can see that, you know, me, I'm just turning uh, right around Mother's Day, I turned 68, right? And I still look damn good, okay? And it's what we really have to say, if I have to say so myself, but but it's all about taking care, right? In fact, you know, I used to love to have all of these different mantras, you know, would you ever Mm -hmm. think of going out of your house without brushing your teeth? Probably not. But, you know, your teeth are dead, okay? Your skin isn't dead, right? (laughs) So that was my whole mantra to get people to really do some skincare routine, to wash your face when you wake up in the morning, all this. But then when I decided to make a line that was going to go right to the public, I thought right Mm -hmm. now there's a dizzying array of stuff on the market. I mean, honestly, I myself can't keep up with, it seems like every week there's, new things. There are so many, you know, movie stars, TV stars, singers, you name it. So I thought just to even make another line that says Dr. So-and-so, that's not necessarily (laughs) going to benefit your skin, right? So what can I do? That's when I said, hey, wait a sec, there's something that's so self-evident to me. And that's that it's really not chronologic aging. It's what we expose ourselves to. By the way, this isn't really a new idea. There's a whole field of medicine called the exposome theory. And it sort of says that 
all of the changes, not just skin changes, but you know, all of the changes, unwanted changes from aging have mostly to do, they're mostly the result of exposures we have to the environment, you know, very obvious stuff, you know, bladder cancer, almost 100% from smoking, you know, all of this kind of thing. So what I realized, and I'd always been sort of attending, you know, meetings all over, reading, uh, actually, I stopped someone in the halls who I knew at a big dermatology meeting, a, a, an amazing professor and chairman of dermatology. And I said to him, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to put together something. And I just want to tell you, even from your journal and for everything, there's just these four things that I'm going to create uh, products for four different aggressors that I think are responsible for this disparity between the skin that's on our faces, right? If you think about it, the skin we take the most care of looks absolutely the worst, right? Boom. You know, so, and I said <laughs> yeah. the four things are pollution, light, and, you know, I'm sort of known to be sort of a UVA maven, but now the blue light, uh -huh. okay? Right. Climate, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just all the stuff like climate change, greenhouse emissions, that's all mm -hmm. bad, but, but even living in climate control just sucks out the moisture. And then the fourth mm -hmm. thing is, believe it or not, irritating ingredients and all the stuff that we're trying to use to make ourselves mm -hmm. look better. And and so yeah, he said, wow, that's great. He said, as soon as it's out, my wife's going to get it. You know, so that was when I really felt sort of, you know, very much... Um, you know, uh, really enthusiastic that I would be accepted not only by the consumer, but by my peers, which is very important to me. Yeah, I think that's what we really love about the bit of research we did on your line, that it's all very palatable. The fact that we have to um, protect ourselves from these extraneous factors. And especially when you're starting trying to get somebody into skincare and trying to tell them why it's important to be taking care of your skin from these other things, it's hard for them to understand that there's different things affecting your skin. You know, it's not just light, it's not just pollution. And like you said, with all the products out in the market, it's even harder to get somebody to like focus in on this. So yeah, we just uh, really excited about this product line. Thank yeah, you, if, thank did you, you ever... And you, you touched on this, but did you ever think like at this moment, and of course you either, you probably either saw this coming or it just happened overnight, but like, you know, that skincare would popularize to this extent. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, why, why do you think that yeah. is? So uh, I have to tell you there, I'm going to tell you sort of like two steps that I'd say right now, what is really almost like startling to me is in times of COVID how skincare is becoming even more popular. And I think that that has just so much to do with the fact that we have a little more time for self-care that, you know, I really think that, uh, let's say for women, not maybe as much for men, but for women, many women would sort of like rush out to be with the public and care more about putting makeup on all over to sort of mask things than about long-term care of their skin. So the first phase that is a little shocking to me is that in the time of COVID, when really most industries have taken a nosedive, you know, hospitality, entertainment, you know, Broadway's closed down, all of this. Skincare's done the opposite and it's really enjoying good growth. Uh, that's one thing that makes me very happy, you know, because I think also I feel we're sort of all going to be suffering from a little bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome. And this whole self-care thing is something to really lift our spirits. So, uh, you know, that I, I think I have a little sense of why that's going on. How right. it is that skincare became popular to start, uh, that is very interesting. And um, I think that part of it is market driven. Uh, so I think I'm in favor of some of it, but not in favor of other parts of that. And what I mean by that is just like me for decades saying to patients, you're not gonna leave your house without brushing your teeth. Please don't leave your house without, at a minimum, washing your face, putting on something moisturizing and some sunscreen, right? And that right. was really, that was still very foreign to so many people, even let's say 15 years ago. 
now because I think it is market driven. So, you know, it's sort of like when you're on your computer or if you're watching something online or you have your television on, there's really so much advertising for skincare. And uh, I, I think, you know, it, more and more of a market's been created possibly because skincare itself has grown so much as a market. Uh, also, and and so I do want to say a couple of things, knowing I was going to be talking with Dewey Dudes, okay? <laughs> I've got to tell you that something that I find wonderful and exciting is that men are thinking about skincare. And, uh, you know, before men had started to think about it, so let's say even go back to again, about 15 years ago, or maybe even 20 years ago, before we sort of even had this idea of the metrosexual and really some self-care for men, right? What I would always see is that, you know, I, now I've had patients for nearly 40 years. I moved to Florida 37 years ago. Many of the people I was seeing then, I'm still seeing now as patients. And what I saw over time is if you look at a couple, a man and a, a husband and wife, that oftentimes they would start out looking, if they were pretty age matched, they looked very age matched. But as time went on, many, I'd say the majority of the time, the woman would look maybe a decade younger than the man. And that was only the case in women who would do a few steps of skincare, you know, and uh, and men so often did nothing. You know, they sort of put on their shaving cream, shave, maybe they use a little soap to wash off the shaving cream. And that was that. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that men are evolving, you know, and, and honestly, you guys, too, I love the dewy dudes because, you know, that dewiness, you know, that's a very beautiful reflection of keeping youthful looking. And so uh, I could turn it back to you and ask you, do you guys use skincare? I, I, I hope so. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, both we're doing all great. this. <laughs> we yeah. appreciate that. Uh, well, it's it's funny, too, because I in our like we were digging, digging up some research on you and uh I mean, not only are you like a pioneer in dermatology, but also mm -hmm. uh, in being like in skincare education in in new media, because you know you like you date back to doing videos um, for like today in South Florida. You've been on the Rachel Ray show talking about these things, and so like watching some of these videos. One that was kind of funny to me um, uh, was when you're addressing uh, skincare for men, and uh, <laughs> I think you kind of said it like facetiously in a really funny way, <laughs> like you were like. Um, men, you know, I find that they have the best success with, uh, they, they keep it simple, like three products. And it's funny now. Cause it's like, yeah, I think like a lot of us, I, a lot of people are kind of pairing back products, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny to see like what you've kind of, your, what conclusions you've come to, because as you said, you've, you've done more than 10,000 body exams. You've, you've, uh, seen a lot skin cancer across the board. And even after men have, um, discovered or been diagnosed with skin cancer or they, they go and get either get it removed. Um, you know, they still won't. And I read this somewhere. They still won't, you know, move to the next step with like SPF every yeah. day. And, uh, I guess it's kind of hit like this hits home because recently last month, you know, I went to the dermatologist because I saw a spot on my forehead and I was like, that better not be what I think it is. And they biopsied it and they, you know, it turned out to be a basal cell. And wow. so I have to get it removed next, next month. Uh, and you know, in, it just I kind of you just start thinking like, you know, you start thinking, oh, maybe if I were younger, if I started applying SPF even then, because I'm at such a young age that you even like start having this, you know, mm -hmm. like having to continue to mm -hmm. monitor for the rest of my life because now I know it's genetic. But uh, yeah, I'm just curious. Like, what's what's the disconnect? Why aren't like and I think it's changing now, obviously, because, you know, more men are doing skincare. But uh, like just as simple as it's like it's like a like like you said, like brushing your teeth. Why aren't they? Mm. Why aren't we including it into our um, everyday lives? Yeah. You know? So, you know, I think one part of it is that we need more men, male role models within families. Right. Because, you know, I will sometimes get in, let's say, a woman of 80 or 85 who looks magnificent and she'll tell yeah. me, oh, my grandma told me to put on cold cream every night. Right. I've never <laughs> seen 
a man come in who was taught from a young age to do that. And I do want to say this too, uh, because I practice in South Florida, you know, I have so many skin cancer patients, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, very interestingly, it just happened last night. I called up a patient who had yet another skin cancer. He's bald and he had another squamous cell carcinoma. I had to give him the biopsy results on his head. And the wife, they were on the speakerphone. And I said to his wife, you know, I know he told me he's very reluctant to put sunscreen on his scalp because it drips down and gets into his eyes. So we talked about how he's going to buy a hat and it's going to be a floppy hat. And so she said, well, he won't let me do it. And then on the phone, I made him promise that they were going to sit down and go online and buy some really sun protective hats. Now, mm-hmm. when it comes to skin cancer, which I have to tell you, obviously I believe in sunscreen, but you know, I do want to tell you that it's sort of disappointing that we still are seeing increasing number of skin cancers every year in the United States, even though people are using sunscreen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, I have to like now put in the plug, the American Academy of Dermatology says you have to take a three pronged approach to preventing skin cancer. One is the use of sunscreen, but equally important, don't go out in the sun. If you have to do outdoor activities, try to avoid the hours between 10 and 3. You know, do things earlier in the morning, later in the afternoon. I often tease that uh, when I was bringing my kids to Miami Beach, which is where I live, when they were little, they used to say, Mommy, how come we're always going as everybody else is leaving, right? It's even, (laughs) I love that. It's even Uh, nicer if things are a little less crowded. So you really want to avoid those peak sun exposure hours. And then the last thing is protective clothing. You know, there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with putting on a hat, by the way, a hat that has a little, I'm not talking about a baseball cap, but a hat with a little floppy brim and even over your ears. I've been, well, your ears get a lot. Yes. I always, my my dad always had spots on his ears removed. Like, you just don't think about it. I've removed a lot of pieces of men's ears in my profession. So, you know, really (laughs) remember that is the three pronged approach. It's not just about sunscreen. And, you know, I do Mm -hmm. want to put that plug in because it's just important. It is who I am. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, I mean, I guess this is a totally separate conversation, but I guess I wonder if the sun exposure that we're receiving now has become more intense with the effects of climate change. And maybe that's playing a role in the increasing number of skin cancer cases that we're seeing. Absolutely. So I have to tell you that in my training, we were taught, and it was just, you know, standard belief that if you get bad sun, you know, if you have all the ravages of the sun, it comes from the sun you got before the age of 18. Now, as mm. I've gone on in My practice, <laughs> right, but now yeah. as I've gone on in practice, I know that isn't true because patients who've had a number of skin cancers or maybe they've just had one bad one like a melanoma, when they change mm-hmm. their behavior and when they're coming in to see me for their routine every three or four month visits, all of a sudden they no longer have a tan. Well, guess what? they end up not having as many skin cancers. And definitely the sun has gotten stronger and there is absolutely no doubt that in my mind at least, and this is just based on my clinical experience, that it's not just sun you got years ago, that you can still reverse quite a lot by starting to practice what we call you know, safe sun today. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really up. Op- like that makes me optimistic because then you can, yeah. you can stop beating yourself up for uh, the years of, you know, neglect. <laughs> um, I want to move on to uh, another form of light that we're all researching now yeah. is, you know, blue light and how it affects your skin. I know you've done a lot of, um, you know, work on this and addressing this. And I was wondering, what can you tell us about it? Because I feel like either people kind of have it in their head that like the jury's still out on it or, um, that they don't want to come to terms that with the fact that looking at your phone 150 times a day is doing something to your skin. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, I sort of specifically mentioned that little sort of funny tidbit about how the head of my laboratory, Dr. Parrish up at Harvard said, Hey, Loretta, don't tell people I'm having you look into UVA. Everybody thinks I'm nuts. Right. Okay. Well, 
I think that right now, many of us dermatologists who are saying, please protect yourself from blue light, because the truth is the majority of dermatologists aren't necessarily saying this, but I'm one who is saying Mm -hmm. it. You know, we uh, are in the same kind of situation uh, as people were in the 70s, sort of the pioneers who said, let's look at the effects of UVA. Now, remember, it's not just our screens that give us that emit the blue light, but the sky Mm -hmm. is blue because the sun emits so much more blue light than UVA and UVB combined. So what we know about blue light is that it does penetrate a little bit deeper into the skin. And so far, a lot of the studies that have been published in the dermatology literature, they're using something, a light source that's called a solar simulator. And what that is, is it it emits all the same wavelengths as the sun, right? So it's simulating the sun, solar simulator. Mm -hmm. Right now, I think out of a little bit of ignorance, We've been blaming results that we see, whether it's that the solar simulator can kill skin cells, whether it can lead to precancerous changes. We've just taken mm-hmm. for granted that it's because it's the UVA and the UVB. That's the source that we use in studies to see what's the effect of the sun on our skin. There are some very good studies out of Henry Ford Hospital up in Detroit, the dermatology department, where they went a step further and they said, we're not going to use a solar simulator. We're going to actually take a light source, let's say just UVA, and we're going to expose people to the amount of UVA in noonday sun. And then we're going to take a light source that's just blue light or visible light, but that visible light from the sun is mostly blue light. And what we're going to do is we're going to expose people just to that light source, just on human skin. And lo and behold, what they found out when they did the UVA versus the blue light is that the blue light in anyone who can pigment, and that's most of us living in the United States today, that we have the ability to tan, they're going, mm-hmm. the blue light is going to give you much more hyperpigmentation, redness, and swelling than UVA. Not only is wow. it going to give you that upon exposure, immediately after exposure, but if you look at the skin that only got exposed to UVA, a week later, you don't see any of those changes. Whereas blue light, the changes from blue light, especially the pigmentation, A week later, your skin is still looking dark and blotchy from the blue light. Now, you know, the issue is, you know, sort of, you know, not to blow my horn, but I go to all of these meetings where we get presented this evidence. It is published, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately, still many dermatologists have not even read these studies. And, um, you know, there's such a wealth of information for doctors to absorb. Uh, doctors, dermatologists these days are very busy treating skin cancer and frankly also probably injecting in Botox. And we're not always looking at research that really should mm-hmm. be advancing us. And um, I was lucky enough the last time that there was an in-person in 2019, every two years, there's a big meeting of, uh, of cosmetic chemists that uh, goes over sunscreens and what advances we need in sunscreens. And I was fortunate enough to be the dermatologist invited to speak at that meeting. And all of the members of the FDA sunscreen division were there. And you know, one of the things, I talked about really two things, the blue light. And also when somebody asked me, what sunscreen should I use? I always say the one you like, you know? I'm not gonna recommend any brand and then you put on, you don't like the smell of it or the feel of it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But at the end, I was very fortunate that the head of the sunscreen division of the FDA came up and thanked me for the presentation because you know, we need to move this forward. Now, when we talk about devices, yes, absolutely. We are getting so much visible light exposure from our devices. The thing is, that's much less light, the dose. Okay compared to noonday suns, much less. But think about how nobody is holding their face up to the sun six or eight hours a day. 
Whereas, unfortunately, yeah. most of us are doing that with the devices. And the yeah. problem with the devices- Well into the night. Yeah, exactly. But we can't standardize it because every device is different. So what right. I do say to everybody is, you know, if you're using an Apple product, you can put it on that night shift mode on your settings. Mm -hmm. You're going to get less visible light emitted. If you're using another kind of product, you can actually buy a screen to put over your screen that will filter out a lot of the blue light. And I think that all, all of us should do it. If you're lucky enough to wear contacts or prescription glasses, they all have blue light filters. So that's great. If you're not that fortunate, then get yourself some blue light glasses. Yeah, I always recommend this app called Flux that I've been using for a couple of years. And I think what it does is it filters out the blue light because my laptop screen is always orange. And then as yes. the day gets goes by, it gets even darker and darker. Um, but it's hard to get people on that because they're like, oh, I I feel weird looking at this orange screen. Yeah. But yeah, at times we can like I know Evan and I some days we'll spend twelve up to fourteen hours. Wow. Unfortunately, unfortunately uh, just, not, by just, choice, yeah. but, not by choice. Yeah. Not by choice. But uh, especially now. Yeah, with with COVID and and having to move our lives online as well, it just requires spending more time online. But um, yeah, that I quick question. So I'm assuming like the sorts of formulations and ingredients that we do need to protect ourselves from blue light are different from what UVA and UVB requires. Absolutely. So the active ingredients are different. And truthfully, I think it's going to take a very long time for the FDA to get on to sort of standardizing anything in terms of what active ingredients they will accept. We use in the sunscreen, we use a couple of blue light filtering ingredients in our sunscreen, we use Indian ginseng, which uh, there are really nice studies from the ingredient manufacturer on really showing that it can prevent a lot of the cellular damage from the blue light. We also use a, a fade ingredient in our moisturizer and um, in a couple of our moisturizers called Chromabrite. And that fade ingredient was tested and shown to protect you from all of the solar simulator light all cellular destruction from that, including the visible light. So uh, yeah, I've been on this for quite a while because especially I think what I started to see being in Miami Beach, right? I live not far from the beach itself, right? Was that with my patients, there was such a shift from so many, especially of the female patients who, you know, when I moved here 37 years ago, so many of the women were the ladies who lunched and they'd be going to the beach three times a week and all this. And then mm -hmm. I saw, no, no, these ladies are now all in front of their computer screens. And so I really felt we had to address it. You know, interestingly, something that I've learned from COVID is it's hard to tell people to protect themselves. I think we really see that with the masks, right? Yeah. And leadership is so important. Uh, so, you know, I'm personally very proud that we now have a president who is always wearing his mask, right? Uh, I think that I am hoping to see if we can get more and more dermatologists and physicians to really mm -hmm. play that leadership role and start to say, you know, what do you have to lose, okay? Maybe I'm waiting to see more peer-reviewed studies, but what do you have to lose to protect yours if you protect yourself from blue light? Um, it's very important. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think we we could all, if we all just operated from that assumption, I think we'd all be better off. The <laughs> same with you know, even if even if in whatever reality you're existing right. in, if you didn't believe that these things were doing anything, at least. It's it's such a low effort to to take some precaution, but I yeah. wanted to move on because uh, you touched on ingredients, um, and I know a lot of your skincare products are formulated with uh, you know with with some wonderful ingredients. I mean, I've just I know like algin, um, salicylic acid, you know, just kind of the, the big name ones. But I wanted to touch on uh, like because I, I think I, I read somewhere that coconut oil is in one of your products, and I wanted to. Uh, give you a moment to like kind of demystify some of the taboos on natural ingredients that people sometimes associate with. Oh, that that's something you shouldn't have. In, right. Uh, yes. Products. Absolutely. Okay. So the first sort of general statement that I'm going to make about sort of like oils and all of this is mm -hmm. that um, sometimes, like I said, let's say sort of even essential oils, which are more oils that have like a little bit of a scent. So coconuts in a little different category, but I also do use some essential oils. You know, there is too much of a good thing. So 
how many things like essential oils have gotten a bad rap is that we dermatologists sometimes have to test people to see if they're sensitive or allergic to ingredients. And we, in doing that, we sometimes will test them to fragrance. And fragrance could be artificial fragrance, which, you know, we totally avoid in my line. But there also is included when we test for fragrance, some essential oils. And so we actually put some stuff on their back. And when we're testing for essential oils, the amount put on the skin to see if you're going to get a reaction, if you're going to trace 5%. When I create products, so for instance, I use some chamomile, some ginger root, some rose, absolute, you know, the concentration that we're using is about a hundred times less than that 5%. So that's where, uh, you know, what I, I love, I love the fact that there is such a, an information superhighway. I love the fact that there's so much information out there, but sometimes there's a kernel of truth. Like, yes, 5% essential oil can definitely be irritating to some people, but when instead it's 0.05% or, you know, whatever, when, when you're taking a fraction of it so that you get benefits. And, and why I like to use essential oils mostly is because I think that the user experience for every product has to be pleasant. We recently had a beautiful write-up in InStyle where the, the writer said, wow, you know, thank you, Dr. Loretta. You finally created a sunscreen I want to use. I love the way... It feels, it smells, my mm -hmm. skin looks when I have it on me. And that's what I'm going for with something like the essential oil use. Now, I do want to get back to the coconut oil because uh, really, I honestly discovered how great coconut oil is when I was looking for something pure. And this goes back 20 years ago to put on my uh, black patients because a lot of my, you know, I practice in Dade County, which was the first majority minority county in America. And so a lot of my young patients would come in and they wanted to be styling their hair, which I totally understand my young black patients. And they'd be putting a lot of different oils in their hair and it might make their hair look great and glistening and manageable and, and they look great. But I then realized that a lot of them were getting from the oils, they were getting acne that would be running down. Mm. I really saw it because a lot of it was terrible acne under the chin. So I started to search for what oil can we use that, what, you know, I counseled my patients, you know, put this in your hair, it's going to make your hair look great. And as a matter of fact, it could even be beneficial to your skin. And the oil that I found for that was coconut oil. So oh, wow. I put the coconut oil in with our, in our micro exfoliating cleanser because it's 2% salicylic acid. That's really nice to clean out your pores, make them look smaller. It's, you know, an OTC drug that we have registered with the FDA because it's so much salicylic. But when you're getting rid of all that dead cell buildup, in between those dead cells were all these nice oils that, that your skin really was profiting from. So I said, okay, let me plug in an oil. And I had to make it one that wasn't so expensive. I, I couldn't make it a high percentage of lipids or other things that we use in more pricey products that we make. So mm -hmm. I said, let's put in the coconut oil and, and it's super nice. And it, it really works. It really works So that micro exfoliating cleanser. 2% salicylic, 1% coconut oil. And it's, you know, a lot of times I've given patients, they've started with that cleanser and I'll give them maybe a prescription for a topical antibiotic to start with for their acne. They'll come back and say, oh, I never even filled the, the prescription because I just looked so much better with the cleanser. So it's very gratifying oh, wow. to me. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at my notes. Oh, no. <laughs> um. Speaking of, uh, you know, the, the micro exfoliation going on um, in the cleanser, but exfoliating in general, we recently uh, got a question that we didn't really know <laughs> quite how to answer uh, just because we, I don't think, I think Amelia, Amelia you've had it done, but uh, yeah. I've never had it done. And um, about exfoliation um, and dermaplaning, like the idea being that, because dermaplaning is like a form of exfoliation, yes. but um, the question was kind of framed in a way like, oh, uh, which one should I be doing? And, uh, 
yeah, I was wondering if you could speak about exfoliation with, you know, a- AHAs and BHAs, right. but also like right. other forms of it. So there's really three ways you can exfoliate. One is physical. And in fact, usually I say that men don't need to dermaplane because when you shave, believe it or not, you're doing very yeah. good, mild physical exfoliation. But since you do it with such frequency, you know, I, I think you're set with that. A dermaplane is actually taking a scalpel, you know, a blade and, and just scraping away the dead cells. I am mm-hmm. not in favor of <clears throat> getting that aggressive to start, right? So mm-hmm. there's physical exfoliation. And let's say that, um, you know, you want to do something like that at home. You can get something that has granules in it, something like that, like sort of like a, a buffer cream and use that, like yeah. a little skin buffing. Then there's chemical exfoliation. And that's using an acid like AHA, which stands for alpha hydroxy acids, Mm -hmm. which is a whole family from glycolic to lactic, or BHA, of which there's really only one, and that's the salicylic. Now, Mm -hmm. what that does is that actually is putting something on your skin, and it's these acids have the ability to unglue the bonds that hold the dead cells together. And so they're going to sort of microscopically get a sort of a purging of your dead cells. And ideally, whenever you're exfoliating, you're affecting and benefiting not only the surface of your skin, but your pores also. And then the last kind of exfoliation that we don't always talk about as much, but it's when you're using an enzyme, something like pumpkin or pomegranate. And actually, a lot of guys might remember maybe as teenagers that their dermatologist said, oh, get some pumpkin enzyme or pumpkin mask, put it on. We tell that to a lot of teenagers. It's typically not that expensive, and it usually works pretty well to do that a couple of times a week, like an enzyme mask exfoliator. Now, does everybody need to exfoliate? Uh, Frankly, I think that men, younger men who are shaving at least two or three times a week, you know, they don't necessarily need to unless they see that there's a big disparity between where they're shaving and let's say their forehead. Then, yeah, I think it's nice. And this is what you have to remember. As we get older, the rate that we shed our dead cells starts to really slow down. Mm-hmm. And then what the eye, when we're looking at the surface of the skin, we're seeing that the skin is looking duller because there's more of a buildup of dead cells. The dead cells store pigment. So if you have any kind of tendency to hyperpigmentation, you know, it's nice to exfoliate. Uh, also, the dead cells get clogged in our pores. So, so many of us were complaining that our pores look big. If we'd store it, let's say, once or twice a week exfoliation, and the things that I do recommend are doing something like an AHA or BHA. In our Dr. Loretta line, our micro exfoliating cleanser, because it's got that coconut oil in it, we recommend to use that every single day. That's because it's mm-hmm. replenishing the oils mm-hmm. that you sort of also lost when you exfoliated. Um, but I think for exfoliation, just don't overdo it, you know? But yeah, I, I believe right. in it. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's That was broken down in a really palatable way. I feel like we get a lot of... I also personally get a lot of men asking me the most basic questions about exfoliation. And uh, uh, I also like never know quite how to answer with all the different kinds of exfoliation. But um, yeah, right. So and, and it's funny, like even uh, I think I was watching a video of you on Rachel Ray. and I think it was brought up about um, you can kind of see the difference in skin with men, especially if they're frequent shavers of, you know, um, mm. not like an electric one. They're 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 doing yeah, they're they're with a blade and like the difference in their skin and that it actually looks more youthful. And, uh, um, you know, is that is that because of that? The frequent exfoliation. Absolutely. And also, you know, when you talk about a physical physical exfoliation like shaving, what's happening Mm -hmm. is you're also sort of giving a little bit of a micro injury to the skin. And what happens there is that that makes us get a little more collagen going. And so I've got, Mm -hmm. I wish I could dig them up, but I've got some old pictures, but I bet you all know a relative, let's say, who loved the son of guy. And you can see if you look at their lines, Oftentimes they may have lines that then suddenly stop 
And where right, the, yeah, do they yeah, stop yeah. when it runs into the beard area? There aren't any lines there. So that's just sort of the living proof that, you know, shaving really does work. You won't believe this. I'll share with you, which you can, you know, uh, let everyone know. But sometimes I'll get in, let's say, an 85-year-old woman, even an 80-year-old woman mm-hmm. Who, mm-hmm. with good eyesight, okay, who says, oh, my gosh, I don't like my wrinkles. Should I use Botox? Do you want to give me filler? Should I get a facelift? And on some of these women, I've said to them, you know what? I can see you're not a hairy person. You know, don't worry about this. I want you to start to shave one side of your mm-hmm. face and not the other and have, you know, your kid take a picture, text it to me after a couple of weeks, and I'm going to tell you which side looks better. And I've had many cases in people where I don't want them wasting their money on filler. You know, they've sort of got advanced lines and all the shaving yeah. can help. Yeah. So uh, that's the great wow. thing you dudes have got going for you. Uh, that's a really good tip. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I need to start. Sh- I use an electric razor. Yeah, so no, like, oh, maybe, maybe I need to get back to it. I'm every other day. Maybe yeah. I need to get. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was. Yeah. I was also going to ask um, about you've written about or you've spoken to uh, about um, best hair practices. I find myself more in conversations, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting older, Mm -hmm. people, I think people have a good sense, at least like mentally about what to do for their skin, even though there's a lot of information out there and it can be confusing. But uh, I think people, what they're really taken aback with, uh, you know, as, as they age is um, their hair, like the changes in their hair and they're always trying to figure out ways to, um, manage that. And I was wondering if you could give us some healthy like hair practices. Definitely. Okay. So, you know, one thing that we sort of didn't talk about, but my overall philosophy is to be pretty minimalist about things, right? So when it comes to yeah. the skin, if I'm going to have a new patient come in, I ask them, hey, you know, if you want to talk about skincare, why don't you bring in what you're using? Especially for women, they will bring in shopping bags full of stuff. And I usually say to them, you know, you're using so much stuff that you need one product to counteract the bad effects of the other. I find the same thing is starting to happen with hair care. There are so many new kinds of skews in hair care. And, you know, I'm pretty simplistic about hair care to say, first of all, you know, you don't need to watch, you don't need to shampoo your hair every day. You know, maybe if you work out and you're sweating like crazy every day, sure, go ahead and shampoo. Right. But uh, really, especially as we get older, our hair does get significantly drier. And each time that we shampoo, even if you're using a moisturizing shampoo, the drying process dries out our hair more. So think about, you know, re-examine how often you're shampooing. Oftentimes, three times a week is enough. In my late 60s, I never shampoo more than twice a week. You know, the next thing is on the reverse side, in people who are very acne prone, something that I see typically if I have a full day of patients, it's where they don't see one new patient with this problem every time. And this relates to hair care, okay? And the problem is, just like I was describing when people use a lot of oils in their hair that may break them out, that there mm-hmm. are people who seem to be, many people seem to have sort of like an acne-like allergy to Moroccan or argon hair products. Mm. Many hair care lines now do use Moroccan oil. And it's oh, not wow. to say that it's bad, but for reasons I don't understand, there's a really high level of this acne-like allergy to it. And so I'm seeing so many people who have got this acne. A lot of times it's more around the rim of the face than in the T-zone. So if you right. do break out, avoid that, avoid the argon or Moroccan oil for at least a month or two and see if you don't get some improvement there. You know, the next thing is uh, as we get older again, or sometimes just hereditary, especially in people who have lighter hair, our hair can seem to be very thin. The actual hair Mm -hmm. itself, I'm hundred percent Italian and I have, you know, kinky hair. I don't have that problem. But if you are somebody where either through aging or maybe something genetic you feel that your hair is thin and, you know, maybe you're concerned that uh, you want a little more fullness. 
Then I recommend a brand called Nioxin, N-I-O-X-I-N. They make all shampoo, shampoo for colored hair, Nioxin. shampoo you know, for color treated hair, shampoo for dry hair, whatever. And that product actually coats the hair shaft so that the even after rinse off, each hair itself, the shaft is a little bit thicker and it actually makes you look like you have more hair. So I love mm -hmm. that product. Um, for conditioners, just be sure to rinse out your conditioner well. And then definitely while you're in the shower, wash your face after you've rinsed out your conditioner. Because right. in conditioners, really moisturizing and coating our hair, they also can leave a problematic film on our facial skin. And actually, I think it was Estee Lauder, one of the big companies published a very nice little paper just surveying people, you know, after you rinse out your conditioner, do you wash your face before mm -hmm. or after you rinse out your conditioner? And the vast majority of people wash their face before they rinse out their conditioner, sort of almost while they're waiting to rinse out their conditioner. So yeah. that simple habit can be a big help, including if you find you know, people have a little longer hair or maybe just people who are breaking out on their shoulders, same kind of thing. Get into the shower, do your shampoo, do your conditioner, rinse out your conditioner, and then wash your face, your shoulders, all of this, so that you really get rid of the residue of the conditioner on your skin. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's funny when you ask someone about like their their you know skincare hair care practices, they don't really kind of see that they go hand in hand. And mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I probably arrived at that very late, like a few years ago. Like, oh wait, what are the steps in the shower that I should be like? Where should I be doing skincare? Good for in, you. If I'm doing it in the shower, so you know it's like because you think, oh yeah, I don't want to wash my hair and then do conditioner and then um, after I've washed my face because you're just getting all that stuff on your face, but. Um, you know, but before, before we let you go, we have a segment called the Do We Do's and Don'ts. Uh, kind of just like we we kind of recap the episode and we kind of go down the line of oh, do this, don't do that. But before we get to that, um, I know Emilio loves to touch on this with almost every guest. <laughs> because <laughs> is, is retinol, is is retinol 101. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, like I feel like a lot of our listeners are like at that age where they're considering it or, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of just kind of information out there about how to get into it, like where to start, how to lead up to TRET, whether you should even be using TRET. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, like, so I was wondering if you could give us like a dermatologist uh, point of view on that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to sort of start with tretinoin. When I was, you know, in my, in the old days, right? All, that was all that we had. So what is tretinoin? That is vitamin A acid. It's a prescription only product. And uh, basically our skin has receptors for vitamin A that are in the living layers of our skin. And when the vitamin A acid, the tretinoin gets into the living layers, it starts up a lot of new collagen production. It really is a very nice anti-wrinkle approach. The problem is for many people, including me, I can't tolerate it, okay? Mm -hmm. I really, uh, before we had retinol, I was starting to use some tretinoin, you know, AKA Retin-A is, is the brand name that, that's most popular. I, I tried to use it and I could tolerate it maybe one week, once a week, and maybe one week, you know, I could do it for uh, twice a week. It would make me red and irritated and all of this. So way back, uh, a man named uh, Dr. Albert Kligman at University of Pennsylvania, who really, I think, honestly had the original patent on the use of tretinoin for anti-aging, mm -hmm. he started to study this other molecule called retinol. And basically, when you apply retinol to the skin, it goes through two more changes, enzyme changes, once it's on the skin to become, to fit into those receptors of the tretinoin. So it's sort of like, if you want to call it a precursor, I like to call it the skin-friendly form of tretinoin, of tret, as, as it's commonly called now. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, the thing that I'm going to tell you about that, though, is because it's not a prescription or even an over-the-counter, right? Like I mentioned that salicylic, our microexfoliating cleanser, we have it registered with the FDA. It's an over-the-counter drug. Salicylic, 
is considered OTC. Retinol isn't. So the unfortunate part about that is that when you buy a product that has retinol, they're not obliged to tell you how much it has, really, you know, if it's encapsulated, not encapsulated. So uh, for instance, I have to tell you that we make a product called concentrated firming serum that's 0.5% retinol. And I did extensive clinical testing, you know, with volunteers on this, on that product. And, you know, some of the people at the end of three months, they looked almost like they had filler put into their face. You know, it looked so wonderful. The one issue was I would always, I'd see the patients back every two weeks and be taking these photos. And I'd always say, you know, make sure not to come right up to the the rim here because 0.5% retinol in in a very moisturizing base that we have, right? Very like lipid filled base. It's really penetrating. It's very strong. Now on the market, there are a lot of products that this that say that they're one percent retinol, and so I sort of wow. question that because the zero point five, you know, not to say I'm sure that they're from reputable company. I'm sure they are one percent, but there's got to be something a little different about the formulation and the penetration. Or I think, you know, if you get up to that high of a percentage, I think you can start to see the irritation, the redness, even okay. sun mm-hmm. sensitivity. So then the only other thing I would say, yeah, I love retinol. I love the zero, the uh, concentrated firming serum we have. But the mm-hmm. other thing, no matter what form of retinol or tretinoin you're using, remember, it definitely can make you sun sensitive. So there's another plug. Even if you use it at night, which is the one we always say to start these products right. only at night, the next morning you're still more sun sensitive and probably more screen sensitive. So another reason, if you're going to start to mm-hmm. use a retinol, which I think mm-hmm. People should start young. Yes. I love the idea not only of corrective, but also preventative skincare. Right. Then please do put on your sunscreen in the morning if you use okay. retinol. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny too, because all right, so um I feel like a lot of people like they have they get they they get wrinkles around their eyes, right? You know, laugh lines. Um uh, is there and you were you were speaking you were talking about how like you they you want to go up to your eyes, but like not right here but it's is it okay to kind of like go around it right so you know literally you can sort of feel that there's a bony rim like the eye socket sure that's where i would stop now i do want to tell you that i see in the marketplace that they're making retinol eye creams i would not put that on my eyes don't do that okay but like for instance we have which we're proud our tightening eye gel from Dr. Yep. Loretta is an Allure Best of Beauty winner. And oh, yeah, that's awarded. using Congrats. something. Thank you. Yeah, we were so proud of that. Okay. So <laughs> we are so proud. So with that, we've got peptides that we put in that. And that you can put even on your upper lids, go 360 degrees around. And that's oh, cool. another sort of much kinder, gentler approach to getting some new collagen formation. So we're using peptides that are called signaling peptides. They make our skin think it's time to make more collagen. So, you know, there, um, the thing is, there's so many different families of ingredients. And mm-hmm. I think that's where uh, sometimes it's a little bit difficult for the consumer to even, you know, get the whole picture. And but but mm-hmm. so that's where, you know, we're trying with Dr. Lorette. I think right now we're at 11 products, just about to introduce a tightening mask, which we're getting great results on from clinical testing. And um that will just be number 12 because I think, oh, my gosh, it's just otherwise, I think, too complicated to figure it all out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not everyone could have, you know, be chatting with Dr. Lorette all the time oh, to yeah, simplify exactly. it. You know, you do a really good job of simplifying it. Good. So we don't feel we feel so like crazy about it because sometimes, you know, when we're asked to uh, to as consumers to at least speak to skincare because obviously we're not operating from like an expert level. Yeah. But uh, we're always, sometimes we're like, wait, is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Well, always you can reach out to me, you know, DM oh, I got the, at Dr. Loretta or I've got even a Durham one at Dr. Loretta Durham. Definitely reach out to me. I'm super accessible. I'm passionate about trying to demystify it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, great. Um, well, we, we want to close things off with our little segment okay. of uh, do we do's and don'ts. And uh, 
So uh, I guess the way I'll start in kind of like recapping what I've learned, you know, um, it doesn't even have to be about skincare. If there's just anything that you want to put out there, plug anything, mm-hmm. um, go for it. I would, you know, but, you know, just to kick it off, like, do we do uh, – wait, I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do we do check out Niox in the brand? Uh, yes. Do we do – we, uh, don't overexfoliate. Uh, do we do – Start taking as much preventative measures as it relates to blue light that you can, which is which would be getting an app that would dim the you know yeah. Emilio's flux. Lux, so I'm just kicking it off. It. But if, if, if Emilio, you you have any? Wow, you just took all mine. I do have another oh. note. Consider do we do consider wash shampooing your hair less often? I definitely know a lot of people that still every day. Uh, do we do consider using retinol at a young age, but don't forget to apply sunscreen in the morning? Great. I'll do one too. Do we do look forward to growing older? It's this great oh, gift. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it sort of like psychologically, it sort of like frees up your mind from a lot of other stresses as you get older. You almost have more time to just relax and enjoy yourself. And, uh, you know, there's just too much marketing that makes us feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we better dread getting older. And it's just <laughs> not true. But do we do take care now so that you can mm -hmm. live your best life as you get older? Yeah, that is a wonderful note to end on, I think. For sure. I won't even say anything else (laughs) at all. Um, Thank you so much again for coming on. I feel like we we both learned a lot, and we're so excited to try all the Dr. Loretta products. Thank you so much. I hope you love that essentials kit, and thanks for having me, really. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. Bye-bye. Come back anytime. Bye-bye. Bye.